Dino Files. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dino Files. I am Dino and I am here to bring you some interesting discussion. I hope there's a um there's a lot going on. Let me adjust my mic here a little bit of the way. There we go. There's a lot going on uh, on the free speech front. Uh, a lot that's very just really incredibly bothersome to me, and uh, I I really want to get into that. But first, I need to say this: um, the anime uh, project that I'm working on with uh, Ryan Shadowhawk54. That is going incredibly well. We are continuing to upload episodes to the Annie Files feed, and he's uh, he's doing a great job running that show, and I'm very happy to be a part of it. Go give it a listen if you can. It's it's a fairly interesting, in-depth discussion about the anime from this season that we're kind of digging into based on the pilots. So there's that, and there's also the episode that I released last week, the episode uh, where I was joined by the guys from Liberty Weekly. That was a great episode. If you haven't heard it yet, I definitely recommend you give it a listen. Um, I'm 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 really happy with the way that that came out. I listened to it a couple of times actually, and I'm I'm very happy with it. I, I think it was incredibly good. And I'd love to do a show with those guys again. They make an incredible show. That's the Liberty Weekly podcast. Definitely go listen to that show. All right, I'm I'm gonna jump right into this. I'm not gonna be covering news today, and I'll tell you why. I'm not going to be covering news today because. There has been a lot of stuff in the free speech uh, realm that has been happening over the last several days and, and, and the last several weeks. There is, there's a lot of troubling things being said and done, and I want to cover two of them. The first is, uh, or I'm sorry, there's three of them. The first is Cloudflare's CEO uh, removing DDoS protection from the Daily Stormer. Now, the Daily Stormer is a Nazi website. They're Nazis. They're shitbirds. They're assholes. They're everything wrong with humanity. Uh, and their website, the Daily Stormer, was... Uh, people had refused to support the domain, to manage the domain. And then Cloudflare said, we're not going to protect this from DDoS attacks. Uh, for reasons that you will see later on. Cloudflare, the CEO says, uh, I woke up this morning in a bad mood and decided to kick them off the internet. That's not really, I mean, Cloudflare protects protects servers from server load and it helps to filter out requests that are designed to uh, cause harmful server load. And that's, that's I mean, it's it's kind of a basic thing for the internet, but he didn't really kick anybody off the internet. He just removed DDoS protection, which was a very bad thing for them um, when he did it for, again, reasons that I will explain. This is the story from Ars Technica. Cloudflare CEO says his daily stormer takedown was arbitrary and dangerous. Until recently, Cloudflare prided itself on its unwavering commitment to free speech. Even when he was criticized for providing service to alleged terrorist groups in 2013, CEO Matthew Prince stood firm, insisting that a website is speech, it's not a bomb. So a lot of people were surprised on Wednesday when the company abruptly changed its tune and canceled the account of the neo-Nazi site Daily Stormer. The action seemed to fly in the face of everything Cloudflare claimed to believe as recently as May. And in an internal company email obtained by Gizmodo, Prince acknowledged that the decision was exactly as arbitrary as it seemed. Quote, My rationale for making this decision was simple. The people behind the Daily Stormer are assholes and I'd had enough, Prince wrote. Let me be clear, this was an arbitrary decision. Prince wrote that he, quote, woke up this morning in a bad mood and decided to kick them off the internet. It was a decision I could make because I'm the CEO of a major internet infrastructure company, end quote. 
In the same email, Prince argued that it's, quote, dangerous for that kind of power to be concentrated in any one person's hands. It's important that we did that what we did today not set a precedent, Prince added. Quote, the right answer for us, uh, the right answer is for us to be consistently content neutral. Okay, uh, except you weren't. So, <laughs> as much as you want to say that uh, we, we got to be content neutral and, and you know, the, the websites are speech, they're not a bomb, man. As much as you want to say that, you didn't stand by those principles. So, you're an ass. Um, it's, it's pretty simple. You pretend publicly to be this, this you know, uh, sort of, not, not really speech activist, but somebody who wants to protect free speech. You want to make sure that speech isn't infringed upon. You want to make sure your position uh, as a, frankly, monopolistic force in internet infrastructure, you don't take advantage of that to silence people you disagree with publicly. You want to appear that way. And then privately, you wake up in a bad mood and you allow somebody's site to be taken off the internet. Now, here's what's interesting. I said that they don't actually host the site and they don't do any of that. They're, they just protect people from uh, distributed denial of service attacks. Let's, uh, let's look here at what he has to say about that. This is in a, a Cloudflare blog post that, was, that he wrote. The rules and responsibilities for each of the organizations above in regulating content are and should be different. We've argued that it doesn't make sense to regulate content at the proxy where Cloudflare provides service since if we terminate a user, the content won't go away. It'll just be slower and more vulnerable to attack. That's true and made sense for a long time, but increasingly may not be relevant. The size and scale of the attacks that can now be easily launched online make it such that if you don't have a network like Cloudflare in front of your content and you upset anyone, you will be knocked offline. In fact, in the case of the Daily Stormer, the initial requests we received to terminate their service came from hackers who literally said, quote, get out of the way so we can DDoS this site off the internet. So you, 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 you paragon of free speech, you who will not take advantage of your monopolistic uh, uh, stranglehold on this kind of service on the internet. You, you, you wonderful, wonderful man who just wants to, wants to provide outlets for people's creativity and for their speech. And you, the, you were contacted by hackers who said, get off, get out of the way so we can take down the internet. And you refused them. Wait, I'm sorry. I read that wrong. No, you didn't refuse them. You said, okay, okay, hackers, I'll go ahead and quit serving this website so that you can go take them down. Again, they're Nazis, they're awful, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm building to something. He goes through and he says, uh, the issue of who can and cannot be online has often been associated with freedom of speech. We think the more important principle is due process. I personally believe in strong freedom of speech protections. No, you fucking don't. But I also acknowledge that it is a very American idea that is not shared globally. On the other hand, the concept of due process is close to universal. At its most basic, due process means that you should be able to know the rules a system will follow if you participate in that system. Due process requires that decisions be publicly be public and not arbitrary, which you fucking didn't go along with. It's why we've always said that our policy is to follow guidance of law in the jurisdictions in which we operate. No, you didn't. Law enforcement, legislators, and courts have the political legitimacy and predictability to make decisions on what content should be restricted. Companies do not. But you decided you did, ass. Ass. You can't have it both ways. You're a censor or you're not. And if you're a censor, be honest about it. Another story. And this is kind of going to give us an intro to uh, some of the other stuff that had been going on. 
from EFF, Fighting Neo-Nazis and the Future of Free Expression. In the wake of Charlottesville, both GoDaddy and Google have refused to manage the domain registration for the Daily Stormer, a neo-Nazi website that, in the words of the Southern Poverty Law Center, is dedicated to spreading anti-Semitism, neo-Nazism, and white nationalism. Now, that is true of that website. However, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center is a horseshit operation. I don't trust a damn thing they say. Um, they happen to be accurate here, but not in a lot of other places. You should go through and look at what they call a hate group. It is ridiculous, to say the least. Subsequently, Cloudflare, whose service was used to protect the site from denial of service attacks, has also dropped them as a customer, with a telling quote from Cloudflare CEO. Literally, quote, Literally, I woke up in a bad mood and decided someone shouldn't be allowed on the internet. No one should have that power, end quote. But you do, and you used it. You cannot have it both ways. The EFS, the EFF continues, We agree. Even for free speech advocates, the situation is deeply fraught with emotional, logistical, and legal twists and turns. All fair-minded people must stand against the hateful violence and aggression that seems to be growing across our country. But we must also recognize that on the internet, any tactic used now to silence neo-Nazis will soon be used against others, including people whose opinions we agree with. Those on the left face calls to characterize the Black Lives Matter movement as a hate group. In the civil rights era, cases that form the basis of today's protections of freedom of speech, the NAACP's voice was the one attacked. Protecting free speech is not something we do because we agree with all the speech that gets protected. We do it because we believe that no one, not the government and not private commercial enterprises, should decide who gets to speak and who doesn't. Fuck yes, EFF. Domain registrars are one of the many types of companies in the chain of online content distribution. The internet intermediaries positioned between the writer or poster of speech and the reader of that speech. Other intermediaries include the ISP that delivers a website's content to end users. The certificate authority, such as Let's Encrypt, that issues the NSSL certificate to the website. The content delivery network that optimizes the ability and performance of the website. The web hosting company that provides server space for the website. And even communications platforms, such as email providers and social media companies, that allow websites' URLs to be easily shared. The EFF has a handy chart for some of those key links between speakers and their audience. The domain name system is a key part of the Internet's technical underpinnings, which are enabled by an often fragile consensus among many systems and operators. Using that system to edit speech based on potentially conflicting opinions about what can be spoken on the Internet risks shattering that consensus. Domain suspension is a blunt instrument. Suspending the domain name of a website or Internet service makes everything hosted there difficult or impossible to access. The risk of blocking speech that wasn't targeted is very high. Domain name companies also have little claim to be publishers or speakers in their own right with respect to the contents of websites. Like the suppliers of ink or electrical power to a pamphleteer, the companies that sponsor domain name registrations have no direct connection to the internet content. Domain name registrars ha have even less connection to speech than a conduit provider such as an ISP. As the contents of a website or service never touch that registrar's systems, registrar's interests as speakers under the First Amendment are minimal. This is, um... This begins to get scary because we move on to Google, who, after Daily Stormer, the Daily Stormer left GoDaddy and they moved their registration to Google and Google kicked it as well. And then Google does this. Google removes Gab app for violating hate speech policy. Gab, the social network that has become popular among members of the alt-right, was removed from the Google Play Store this week for violating Google's hate speech policy. This is from The Verge. And I want to make something very clear, by the way, before I continue this story. Gab is nothing more than a Twitter clone that says we won't censor. 
That's all Gab is. Gab isn't an alt-right organization. Gab is a Twitter clone. The only thing that makes Gab appreciably different from Twitter is the fact that Gab says, we will never censor you. That's the only thing that makes Gab appreciably different from Twitter. And so Twitter will, you know, Twitter will censor whoever they want to censor, as will Facebook and places like that. But Gab is nothing more than a social network that says we won't censor. They can't control who's coming over to the service. So, I'm going to continue reading. The company announced the removal of its app in a tweet on Thursday, shortly after announcing it had raised $1 million in a crowdfunding campaign. The tweet also included a screenshot of an email from Google, which said that the Gab app was suspended and removed from the Google Play Store for violating its hate speech policy. In a statement, Google said that social networking apps in the Play Store need to demonstrate a sufficient level of moderation, including for content that encourages violence and advocates hate against groups of people, and that this is a rule that is clearly stated in its developer policies. It added that developers can appeal their app suspension if they address the issue. Torba said previously that Gab is not going to police what is hate speech and what isn't, which itself sounds like a violation of Google's policies. Google also has specific hate speech policy that forbids any apps that advocate against groups or people, groups of people based on their race or ethnic origin, religion, disability, gender, age, or nationality, veteran status, sexual orientation, or gender identity. Yeah. So they just kicked Gab. Yeah, the hate speech policy. Get the fuck out of here. People don't seem to understand that these tactics don't go away once the enemy is defeated. The same, it's, it's just like using, it's just like the fact that the nuclear option still exists now. The nuclear option only exists because it's been used, right? People need to understand that when they're trying to wage a war, especially a war against an idea, the tactics that you are going to use will one day be used against you. It, it is, it is, you must consider that when you're trying to engage in a war of ideas. You must consider that. Because the fact is, it's true. You may not even be alive to see it, but it will happen. So, I want to talk about hate speech for a minute. Professor Eugene Volk wrote on the Washington Post, There is no hate speech exception to the First Amendment. That's the headline. And the story says, I keep hearing about a supposed hate speech exception to the First Amendment, or statements such as, this isn't free speech or hate speech, it's hate speech, or when does free speech stop and hate speech begin? But there is no hate speech exception to the First Amendment. Hateful ideas, whatever exactly that might mean, are just as protected under the First Amendment as other ideas. One is as free to condemn Islam or Muslims or Jews or blacks or whites or illegal aliens or native-born citizens, anarchists, as one is to condemn capitalism or socialism or Democrats or Republicans. To be sure, there are some kinds of speech that are unprotected by the First Amendment. But those narrow exceptions have nothing to do with hate speech in any conventionally used sense of the term. For instance... There is an exception for fighting words, face-to-face -face personal insults addressed to a specific person of the sort that are likely to start an immediate fight, but this exception isn't limited to racial or religious insults, nor does it cover all racially or religiously offensive statements. Indeed, when the city of St. Paul tried to specifically punish bigoted fighting words, the Supreme Court held that this selective prohibition was unconstitutional, RAV versus City of St. Paul. Even though a broad ban on all fighting words would indeed be permissible, and notwithstanding CNN ankle Chris Cuomo's tweet that, the, that hate speech is excluded for protection, and his later claims that by hate speech he means fighting words, the fighting words exception is not generally labeled hate speech exception, and it isn't, and it isn't coexistive with any established definition of hate speech that I know of. And further, actually, the fighting words exception has never been upheld in a federal court of law ever. Um, to my knowledge, if I'm wrong, link me the story. But uh, to, my, to my knowledge, the fighting words exception has never actually been made a good defense. 
because and, and the way that I think this is broken down typically is that if somebody says it's a fighting words thing, nobody, no court has actually said, yeah, that's fighting words. That's not good to say because protected speech is so broad. And the kinds of fighting words that would justifiably create a violent reaction are already threats of violence, typically. So there's other justifications. It goes beyond fighting words at that point. You're making a, a legitimate threat of violence. And with that and against that, you can argue that violent action is a is a uh, is a good response to that or a justifiable response to that. So as far as I know, the fighting words exception has never actually been used in court with any success whatsoever. Um, and it's, it's probably bad law at this point. So there is no hate speech exception. One thing that I want to read is from popat.com. How to spot and critique censorship tropes in the media's coverage of hate speech controversy. So we've talked about the speech that's getting banned. We've talked about uh, how they're censoring, how people are being censored, right? How Nazis are being censored. We've talked about, you know, other, frankly, I mean, other issues surrounding this. Talked about what the EFF has to say about it. Talked about how the guy from Cloudflare who decided that somebody doesn't need the DDoS protection that they've subscribed to uh, says that he shouldn't have been allowed to do that or that he shouldn't have done that, which, again, I I will say until, until I'm blue in the face that he is so full of shit it reeks all the way over here in my office. Like, he, you cannot have it both ways. You can't be a censor and not a censor. It's not, <laughs> those two things are completely antithetical. But I'm still building this, so how to spot and critique censorship tropes in the media's coverage of free speech controversies. I'm not going to read the beginning of this. I'm just going to go down to when they start talking about the tropes. When you see the media using these tropes, ask yourself, what normative message is the author advancing and does it have any basis in law? Trope one, hate speech. Examples, hate speech is excluded from protection. Don't just say you love the Constitution, read it. That was Chris Cuomo's tweet. In the United States, hate speech is an argumentative rhetorical category, not a legal one. Hate speech means many things to many Americans. There's no widely accepted legal definition in American law. More importantly, as Professor Eugene Volk explains conclusively, there is no hate speech except for the First Amendment. That's what I've just read to you. Americans are free to impose social consequences on ugly speech, but the government is not free to impose official sanctions upon it. In other words, even if the phrase hate speech had a recognized legal, de- legal definition, it would still not carry legal consequences. This is not a close or ambiguous question of law. When the media frames a free speech story as an inquiry into whether something is hate speech, it's asking a question of morals or taste, uh, poorly disguised as a question of law. It's the equivalent of asking, is this speech rude? And that is entirely true. And that is true uh, in the United States almost exclusively at this point in the West. You have uh, all over the EU, all these hate speech laws are coming into effect. And it's terrifying to see. Absolutely terrifying to see. Trope 2. Like shouting fire in a crowded theater. Example, there is no freedom to shout fire in a crowded theater. Professor Thane Rosenbaum, Daily Beast, January 30th, 2014. Nearly 400... I'm sorry, not 400 years ago, I said 2014. Uh, Nearly 100 years ago, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. voting to uphold the Espionage Act conviction of a man who wrote and circulated anti-draft pamphlets during World War I said the most stringent protection of free speech would not protect a man in falsely shouting fire in a theater and causing a panic. That flourish, now usually shortened to shout fire in a crowded theater, is the media's go-to trope to support the proposition that some speech is illegal. But it's empty rhetoric. 
And then there's links. I previously explained at length how Holmes said it in the context of the Supreme Court's strong wartime pro-censorship push and subsequently retreated from it. The history That history illustrates its insidious nature. Holmes cynically used the phrase as a rhetorical device to justify jailing people for anti-war advocacy, an advocacy that is now and was soon thereafter unquestionably protected by the First Amendment. It's an old tool, but still useful, versatile enough to be invoked as a generic argument for censorship whenever one is needed. But it's null content, because it says because all it says is some speech can be banned, which, as we'll see in the next trope, is not controversial. The phrase does not advance a discussion of which speech falls outside the protection of the First Amendment. Trope 3. Not all speech is protected. Example, not all speech is protected, and if there, if there is hate speech and it's intended to ridicule another religion, he said... I don't believe it's a free speech matter. Archbishop Paul Coakley, quoted on foxnews.com, August 8th, 2014. The media routinely prefaces free speech discussions with the bland and inarguable statement, not all speech is protected. That's true. In fact, it's not in serious dispute. The problem is that the media routinely invokes this trope to imply that the proposed First Amendment exception is about, it is about to discuss is plausible or constitutional because other exceptions already exist. Not so. Though First Amendment analysis can be complicated at the margins, the core exceptions to the First Amendment protections are well-known and well-established. The Supreme Court, in the course of rejecting a, a proposed new exception, articulated them recently. Quote, From 1791 to the present, however, the First Amendment has permitted restrictions upon the content of speech in a few limited areas, and has never included a freedom to disregard these traditional limitations. These historic and traditional categories long familiar to the bar, uh, <laughs> including obscenity, defamation, fraud, incitement, and speech integral to criminal conduct, are well-defined and narrowly limited cases of speech, the prevention and punishment of which have never been thought to raise any constitutional problem. The observation not all speech is protected adds nothing to a discussion because it offers no mechanism for determining whether the speech that at issue falls into traditional exception or not. To see what I mean, consider the utility of equivalent rhetoric. You've been bitten by an unfamiliar snake and you'd like to know if you need treatment. Doctor, was the snake that bit me poisonous? Actually, snakes are usually venomous, though some are both venomous and poisonous. Great, what about this snake here? I caught it in a bag for you to look at. There are both harmless and venomous snakes in North America. Yes, thank you. Which is this? That snake has rings. Yes, yes it does. Some venomous snakes have rings. Is there anyone else on duty I could see? Yeah, that's, that's what that's like. It's just an observation. Not all speech is protected. True! So what? What point are you trying to make? Trope 4. The line between free speech and questioned expression. Texas shooting sheds light on murkiness. That's an example. Texas shooting sheds light on murkiness between fire between free, comma hate speech. NPR.com. Journalists and pundits talking about free speech disputes love to frame their stories as being the line between free speech and X, where X is the controversial expression in question. This trope can be invoked accurately when there is a legally meaningful line separating protected speech and the type of speech being called out. For instance, the line between free speech and true threats isn't misleading because true threats are an actual category of unprotected speech and there's a line between them and protected speech. Too often, though, the line is invoked to imply a non-existent legal distinction. The line between free speech and hate speech, rhetoric from... The examples above is misleading and meaningless because, as noted in Trope 1, hate speech is not a legal thing. Trope 5, balancing free speech and social value. 
Balancing, when used as a colloquial description of how courts decide whether speech is protected, is almost always wrong. American courts don't weigh the value of speech against the harm it does. When speech falls into an established exception to the First Amendment as discussed above, no balancing is necessary. It can be restricted. When it doesn't, balancing of its value against other interests is almost always prohibited. I'm, I'm just reading more relevant parts because this is actually very long. Oh, no, I'm almost to the end. Trope 6. This isn't free speech. It's blank. Example. It's not free speech. It's bullying and intimidation. It's a horror show. Marion Elizabeth Williams, Salon, February 17th, 2015. The First Amendment is, in a way, categorical. There are well-defined categories of speech that are not protected, as I discussed above, but media commentators often use categorical thinking by inventing new categories of speech outside of the First Amendment. This isn't free speech, it's hate speech. This isn't free speech, it's discrimination. The trope can be used correctly. This isn't free speech, it's an unprotected death threat. But usually it's not. Usually it's invoked as shorthand for I don't want to address the First Amendment analysis so I'm going to say in conclusory fashion that it doesn't apply at all. Our response to this trope should always be the same. Does this supported not speech category exist? And is it one that's actually outside the First Amendment? Trope 7, fighting words. Fighting words. It keeps coming up, guys, and there is no support for it. <laughs> there are two exceptions from the constitutional right to free speech. Defamation and the doctrine of fighting words or incitement said John Schmeyer, an associate professor of political science and the constitutional law expert at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. That's from McClatchy.com, May 4th, 2015. No discussion of controversial speech is complete without some idiot suggesting that it might be fighting words. In 1942, the Supreme Court held that the government could prohibit fighting words, those which are by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace. The Supreme Court has been retreating from that pronouncement ever since. If the fighting words doctrine survives, and that's in serious doubt, it's limited to face-to-face -face insults likely to provoke a reasonable person to violent retaliation. The Supreme Court has rejected every opportunity to use the doctrine to support restrictions on speech. The which-by-their-very-utterance-inflict-injury language the Supreme Court dropped in passing finds no support whatsoever in modern law. The only remaining focus on whether the speech will provoke immediate face to face the only remaining focus is on whether the speech will provoke immediate face to face violence. That's almost always irrelevant to the sort of speech at issue when the media invokes the trope. Trope eight. Professor explained. Dot dot dot. Example: The exhibit of cartoons in Texas might have crossed the line. Professor Smear said. The media loves to quote a professor to support a viewpoint. This is intellectually neutral. It can be good or bad, depending on the honesty and qualifications of the professor selected. Quoting professors about law is particularly risky if your aim is an accurate and informative discussion of free speech law. If you call a physics professor and ask them what will happen if you drop your pencil and why he or she will say it will fall because of gravity, there is a relatively low chance that the professor will tell you, well, maybe nothing will happen because he or she harbors the belief that the current grav uh, gravitic ooh, nice, regime is unfair and otherwise problematic. But when you call a professor of law or political science or journalism and ask them a question about whether some controversial speech is protected by the First Amendment, there is an unacceptably high probability that you will get a quote expressing what the professor thinks the law ought to be. Sometimes the professor will flag a statement as an argumentative one, sometimes not. Moreover, some professors, how can one put this delicately, some law professors' views on how court is likely to rule on an issue are untainted by exposure to actual courts. That's so true. Many professors will give you a sober, accurate, and well-informed assessment of how a court would likely approach a given a free speech situation. The trick is separating those professors from the ones who are out of their field or mere advocates. Trope 9. 
This speech may be protected for now, but the law is always changing. Example, the way we interpret the Constitution is always changing. The Supreme Court can change the rules and does so, and does do so, he said. The Guardian, quoting Eric Posner, May 6, 2015. When existing American law clearly protects question speech, the media sometimes resorts to finding someone to say the law can change and maybe it should. Yes, American law can change. Constitutional interpretation can change in breathtaking ways inside a generation. But the United States Supreme Court has been more consistently protective of free speech than any other right, especially in the face of media sensibilities about harmful words. Fred Phelps in the Westboro Baptist Church, a university reviled and held up as an example of the worst sort of speech. The court found their speech protected by a margin of 8 to 1. The court struck down an overbroad law prohibiting crush videos of animals being killed by the same margin. There is no sign of any movement towards the proposition that speech may be restricted because it is hurtful or disfavored. The sort of speech that provokes this banal media observation that law changes. Pointers to more tropes are always welcomed, as are particularly good examples. So, all of that from Pope Hat, and they did a great job breaking those things down. Explaining why all these things that you hear about free speech are, if not grossly inaccurate, outright lies. From Zero Hedge, America at the end of all hypotheticals. Hypotheticals, called slippery slopes when you're dismissing them, are supposed to require some imagination, are supposed to involve some projection about how current events could deteriorate to an ugly future scenario. How will it change our thinking when that ugly future is now? Last weekend, the hypotheticals about how far the alt-right might go collapsed into a grim reality. Literal Nazis marched the streets of an American city, calling out Jews and blacks and gays, wielding everything from torches to clubs and shields and rifles, offering Nazi slogans and Nazi salutes. Some of their number attacked counter-protesters, and one of them murdered a counter-protester in an attempt to murder many others. This is the what if and how far the critics of vigorous free speech policies pose to us as a society. So too has the malevolent government we fear come to pass. We have a president elected on a platform of denouncing the press, investigating protest movements, and opening up libel laws, however little he can actually do so. We have an administration and its powerful, megaphone-equipped sycophants who define entire diverse protest groups, Black Lives Matter as one example, by the violent actions or rhetoric of a tiny fraction of their members and suggest that the state should treat the whole based on that part. This, ironically, is exactly what the Nazis are now complaining that people are doing. What do we do when we're near the bottom of the slippery slope? These are hard times. Our values should be our beacons that lead us through them. Those values include due process, the rule of law, and equality of all people before it, and the freedom of speech and worship. The Nazis, whether armed with rifles or clownishly clad in khakis, stand against our values. They stand for the proposition that some of us are less American than others by birth, and that America must be preserved to the tastes of a particularly narrow ethnic prejudice Nazis attacking and threatening our fellow Americans threaten not just their immediate targets, but the foundation of everything we've built. Decent Americans should speak, organize, and lead against them. This is the end of another classic hypothetical. What would you do if America's most shameful ancient wrongs are resurgent? What would you do if the Nazis started marching again? But you cannot destroy a value in order to save it. Nazis, like terrorists, hope that we will abandon principles and fundamentally change who we are out of fear. 
Assault is assault. Threats are threats. Murder is murder. And all of them should be vigorously investigated and prosecuted. The allowance for self-defense by those threatened by Nazis should be reasonably generous. But despicable speech is protected by the First Amendment and should remain so. Our present circumstances show why it is the sheer terrified madness to entrust a broad power to prevent or punish speech upon a fickle state. We flirted with that madness of abandoning rights in pursuit of safety after our na for our nation's whole life. The flirtation has turned so sordid and degrading during the war on crime and frankly self-destructive after 9-11. It would be philosophical suicide to hasten it now by giving a government, a visibly terrible and amoral government, the power to regulate speech. This is the final hypothetical come to pass. If the state asks you to give up freedoms in exchange for a dubious promise it would make you safer, would you do it? Would you convince yourself that the state would only use that power against them and not you? There's the constant issue between myself and, and people who disagree with me when I start equating stuff like Google removing Gab and, and Cloudflare uh, working uh, in concert with hackers to take down a website which they were doing. He was contacted by hackers. They said, get out of the way. And he said, okay, that's, that's collusion. That's working together. That's conspiracy. There's always the issue that gets brought up that the First Amendment is a restriction on government action. It's a restriction on Congress. It's a restriction on the legislature. It says that they cannot impose restrictions on free speech. It does not say that companies can't censor on their platforms. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. And that's why I don't make the argument against Google, Facebook, Twitter, now Cloudflare. I don't make the argument against these organizations based on the First Amendment. I don't do it. I make the argument against these organizations based on the social value of free expression in a liberal society. Free expression in a liberal society, well, it's the thing that makes a society a liberal society. It's the thing that allows... Discussions, philosophical debates, political debates. When you hold speech as sacrosanct, it's the thing that allows you to do all other things. So no, when a company works with hackers to take down a website, or when a company decides that it doesn't like your app, or when a company decides that it wants to demonetize your videos, or take your videos away, or, or silo them over here where they'll never be seen by the public, when a company decides they want to do these things, they're not interfering with the First Amendment. They are simply making an ethical mistake. It's got nothing to do with the First Amendment. It has everything to do with the ethics of speech. Especially... For a company like Twitter, for a company like Facebook, where their whole business is creating a, a, a method of discussion. Their whole business is they built the public square. They built and operate the public square. That's what their business is. And I believe to the very core of my being that it is unethical for a corporation, especially one with a monopoly, unethical for a corporation to build the public square and then regulate the discussions that happen in it. That is censorship. Just because it's not government doesn't make it not censorship. It's unethical, totally unethical, to decide that you get to be the arbiter of what is appropriate to say. It's completely unethical. I just can't. Ah. So, I just wanted to make these things very, very clear. I wanted to be very clear that the technology, the, the corporations, the, the, the tech companies that we depend on for our infrastructure and for me to be able to do this, these guys are not on our side. 
They are not on the side of, when I say our side, I mean anyone in the public. Anyone with anything to say. They are not on the side of free expression. They are on the side of censorship. There is no middle ground there. You're either a censor or you're not. They've chosen to be censors. I wanted to make that very clear. I also wanted to make it very clear that hate speech isn't a thing legally. It doesn't exist. It is rhetorical, completely rhetorical, especially in the United States. And frankly, ethically, morally, philosophically, I think it's rhetorical everywhere. It's just that in some places, the rhetorical has been codified. I wanted to make that clear. I also wanted to make it very clear, very, very clear, that if you support censorship, if you are a censor, you will be censored. Especially at this point where we are right now, where the only people who are willing to have these arguments out in public, the only people who are willing to protest and counter-protest, those people are the most active. Those people are the most radical. And censorship always stamps out the radical. And I hate it. I hate it. I hate the fact that I'm being forced to come to the defense of fucking Nazis. The absolute most garbage tier people you can possibly bring up. And you put me in the position now where I've got to try and defend them. Their views are indefensible. Absolutely indefensible. But their rights are not. Their rights are very clear. And it is very clear to me that it is ethically wrong to take away someone's speech, take away their platform. Especially when you got no dog in a fight. Cloud fucking flare. You're not a speaker. Nor is Google, nor is Facebook, nor is Twitter. Nobody holds them. Nobody should logically hold them responsible for what happens on their platform. They've just got the platform. <sighs> and now the censors have forced me to defend fucking Nazis. It's insanity. It's insanity. Well, like I said, fuck Nazis, but they should have the same rights as everybody else. I don't know how to end this show. Um, I guess come find me on Twitter, at Dinofiles. Uh, this show is on the Alternative Internet Radio Network. A-I-R-A-D dot I-O. The show is can be found everywhere. The great podcasts are distributed. Listen to the show I'm doing with Ryan. It's not political at all. That's Annie Files. Annie-Files. Donate to the show. Patreon.com slash Dino Show. No hyphens, no spaces, no nothing. But really find me on Twitter. Tell me what you think. This is this is the most disappointed I've been in, in society in, in a very long time. So maybe we can turn it around. Maybe we can make people realize that without free speech, we have nothing. Maybe. Hopefully. Thanks for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. This show is part of the Alternative Internet Radio Podcast Network. For more great shows like this, visit AIR at AIRAD.io.